You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Alex and Terry and we're going to be talking about fostering. Hi both of you. Hi. Morning Tor. Oh yeah. Now we're actually joined by our youngest ever podcast guest as well, because um, I can see you, although obviously our listeners can't. And I know that you've each got a baby on your knee. Do you want to introduce us to our youngest guests? Yeah, the, the youngest is a little seven-month-old girl. And we've got a 12-month-old boy. Oh, well, welcome to them as well. It's very nice. And so we're all fully expecting disruptions throughout, which is absolutely fine. I expect you're used to that in your day-to-day life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although, Alex, I've sat through more than one meeting with you because you're quite involved with New Family Social, aren't you? And you've yeah. managed to juggle babies up, down, sideways, you know, throughout meetings. So I'm very <laughs> impressed. Um, so can you take me back to um, the point that you started talking together about maybe fostering and how that looked, what conversations you had? Well, we've been thinking about it for over 25 years. Uh, when we first got together, uh, it's something that came up in a conversation. But it just work and uh, lifestyle, it just meant that we just didn't have time to to really actually engage with it. Alex was working as a doctor at the time with uh, a shift work, and I was working away a lot, and it just really wasn't the right time to do it. However, we did have friends who who were doing it. They were working in a children's home and that was going to be closed down and they were asked if they would like to foster uh, some teenage boys at home, which they did, which sort of said, well, gay guys can do it this. It was rare, uh, especially for the rural location that we were living in at the time, but it shows it was possible. So the conversation kept coming up, didn't it? Yeah, and we, I mean, we looked at adoption, we looked at surrogacy, um, and then it kind of fizzled out with life and, you know, partying in Manchester and years. Uh, <laughs> and holidays. Uh, yeah. and, and so many things seem more important, like paying off the mortgage and, uh, you know, cars and what, what, just so many things. And you're just working, working, working to pay for a nice holiday that was going to be a couple of weeks, once or twice a year. And there just seemed to be no purpose in life. All you were doing was working very hard for a goal of... Of, of what? Of what, <laughs> yeah. really. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I mean, my, my work-life balance has always been pretty good in terms of, you know, for the last at least 15 plus years, I've worked four days a week. And when the when the pandemic hit, obviously, I was furloughed and, you know, gradually went back one day, two day, three day, four day. And then when I was back at four day, I thought, mm, I'd really like to work three days a week. Um, and during that whole time, you know, Terry was a company director and he'd been um, talking about his exit strategy from the company. And it looked like possibly redundancy was on the card anyway. And we just started, you know, talking about fostering again. And it was fostering fortnight. Um, it was the start. Yeah, the start of that. And we just started yeah. seeing more and more adverts. I think, you know, 
you get you get suspicious of uh, you know the uh, you know Alexa, Alexa and, is, uh, and, and, Google. and Google listening and, and <laughs> is is fostering. And it, it got to the point where we we actually started looking at those adverts and and it was just a, so overwhelming. Uh, and I think it was just, but we were driven to fostering because we just felt like we're we we. It's not that we're too old to adopt. It's just that we feel that we're too old to adopt. <laughs> Do you want to tell me how old you are? Do you want to fess up? Uh, well, I'm fifty-three. I'm fifty-two. Okay, and so I guess, yeah, I guess when you're thinking about adoption, particularly if you're going to adopt a younger child, you start adding years to your own life, don't you? Thinking, well, if I adopt a four-year-old, by the time they're eighteen, I'll be whatever, and yes, yeah, some of those sums can look a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you think about your own health and family health, and we, we just felt like that it just didn't, the equation didn't work for us, whereas fostering would be a way that we could do lots of um, sort of support in a very quick period of time, but also have a, an exit strategy, especially if you're going with um, uh, task-centred, which is usually up to six months. Uh, but never is. But never is, <laughs> yes. If they say it's six, six months, no, um, it, it won't be. Especially with babies, um, there's a lot of complexities in... Uh, fostering babies, uh, especially if they've got medical needs. So they, they were very honest with us. They said um, task-centred probably would be the best thing for you. Um, we didn't look at agency. We did look straight at uh, local authority. And uh, for us, it, it felt like that we were giving something back by doing that, by helping out local children through the council and they were amazing with their support it just feels like an awfully long time from that moment you make the decision that you want to make an inquiry to actual approval so I think it was mid-May and we were actually approved uh, start of November and then we didn't have our first placement for another month and yes that felt like why are they choosing other people? Why mm-hmm. why are we hearing that other people are having babies placed with them and not us? Immediately you feel, is it because we're two men? Yeah. Is it because we've not looked after babies before? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the things go through your mind. So we, when we did get that first uh, placement call, it was 9.30 in the morning and it was a 17-month-old boy and it was going to be a few days before they were going to come to me. Uh, it would be very structured and I was going to be the stay-at-home uh, parent and Alex was going to continue going to work three days a week. It was just felt like, yep, yeah, that's all fine, no panic, we can sort out the room. And then an hour later they rang up and said, cancel that. Uh, we've got a 10-week-old boy that needs to be moved today. Uh, wow. In the next couple of hours, are you ready for us? <laughs> so you went straight around the supermarket, I guess? 
luckily, Alex is a bit of a nester. So. Yeah, we'd, we'd been kind of collecting things and over the over the period while we were being assessed. It was a bit a bit preemptive, but you know everything was going well during that period. So the, the, because the baby was already in um, care, uh, they had got clothes and they had got uh, basic items. So they came to us. Uh, unfortunately, I was on my own for a couple of days because Alex was away. His uh, mother had just recently died, so he was looking after his father. Gosh, so, okay. Yeah, so it was... Very interesting, that first sort of meeting with a social worker. Um, it was, they walk in and they've got a baby in it. My yeah. word. And you've got to just sit, switch into that gear that day. Were you approved as baby foster carers? Because, you know, so you've got babies now, you're talking about a baby then. Yeah, so we're, we're approved not to 18 with preferred age range, not to four. And really... They, the assessing social worker said, I think it'd be really good for you to start off with babies. Um, so naught uh, upwards. Uh, we felt really comfortable with that. Now we've done several. We are really committed to doing babies, but we also look after a 10-year-old who comes in once a month for respite for a weekend. And we enjoy that change Yes, uh, it, it's a, a different experience. So it's having to think more about what events can we do. What what? How, how does Minecraft work? Uh, <laughs> I've been there. My word. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Uh, what's Dreamlike Valley? And you know, uh, yep. <laughs> like you you switch a gear, but you also got the babies with you as well so you're very conscious that you're having to deal with their needs but also an older child's needs and fit everything around so yes we're approved not to uh, not to 18 I think we uh, we're definitely happier in that not to I would say not to four would be where I would want to sit normally yeah um, I don't want to do the school run Fair enough. No, it's horrible. <laughs> we yeah. can't confirm it's rubbish. Yeah, no, I understand. So um, are either of you working outside the home now or are you both doing this full time? Yeah, so I, I still work three days a week um, as a doctor in clinical research. But I must say I, I go to work for a rest. <laughs> I understand that, yeah. <laughs> I get to call this a job. I have coffee and chat to you and call it work. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and and as and for you, Terry. Yep. So I'm full time stay at home parent. It's I see it more of a vocation than a job. Mm-hmm. It's it is a, it is work though, and I don't think anybody can take away from the fact that it's hard work, and it's not just looking after children because you just looking after your own birth children is doesn't involve social workers meetings writing up reports yeah uh, attending multiple medical appointments att- attending 
um, you know, sort of uh, lack reviews, uh, looked after children reviews. Um, there's contact with um, birth family and siblings. There's a lot of transportation around. So having two babies and them having contact with their family and uh, all the social workers, you're ne- there's never a day in the week that you're not going somewhere. Mm. And I think anybody who's had two under the age of one will know just going out of the house is not the simplest thing. You have to think forward, oh, right, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have to feed them. Um, we're, we need to change your clothes. <laughs> or several changes of clothes to yep. what they like at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, so Alex is disappearing off to go and change one of the babies. Um, oh, I mean, that must be constant. I remember that so clearly. It was like, right, okay, baby is dressed. I've got the bag, put the baby's coat on, put the baby's shoes on, fold the buggy, put it in the boot, come back and get the baby. Now I've got to change the nappy, take the baby's coat off, take the trousers off, do the nappy, put the trousers back on, put the coat back on. Now the baby's crying, get the baby a drink. And it's like, I'm trying to leave the house, can't leave the house. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, so I I, I think in the last seven months of having uh, the little girl and uh, the little boy, I've only once sort of been really late to uh, a appointment where both of them I'd loaded them I'd loaded one into the car and was lo- getting the other one ready to go in the car I got to the car and went ah there's a funny smell <laughs> <laughs> and so you had to take both them back into the house <laughs> strip down the one because it was a full a full change and while I was doing that, the other one decided that, well, they were in their car seat, but they would really go for it <laughs> and have such a uh, poo explosion that required them to go in the bath <laughs> before we could do the whole process of getting changed. And go out the door. I, and I was still only 15 minutes late for the appointment. So. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm impressed. And so I guess, what was your professional background before you were doing this? Because obviously Alex's sounds linked, you know, in terms of medical care and stuff like that. What was your, roughly, what sort of professional background were you in? Uh, I was an IT director in e-commerce. Okay, so that's exactly like raising babies, right? (laughs) uh, Equally as stressful. um, (laughs) You do a lot of firefighting. Uh, I think uh, you, you definitely got a lot of skills from you know the just in time you know this is going to be done now it's there's no no hanging around um 24 7 working it, it it is very similar from that point of view but it's the human interaction it's their needs that are changing very unpredictably um teething can go from they're just teething and drooling a bit to uh, they've got a temperature. They uh, they they are really distressed. They've now got diarrhea because they're teething and yeah, all of this sort of thing. And you're just trying to go and do something with the other child, like go to hospital with them. And the the hospital these guys attend is twenty miles away, so it's it's like almost like a day out. Yeah. 
but by the, a 10 o'clock appointment is leave at eight and you know get you get <laughs> sort of like 1 p.m so and then if you've got an unwell child with you as well it can just make it really complex so yeah. that round of it and that sort of um sort of like high pressure sort of e-commerce sales 24 7 does actually help it may not be the same because you're not dealing with sort of like a child's care needs but you are dealing with the same sort of like impacts i would say i've I've took to it pretty well uh i did it is still possible to get really stressed out and uh i think now and again social workers can come across as a bit negative because they they haven't got they're not having to look after the child so yes. it can can be like oh my gosh where's your where's your monthly report it, 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 you know and you're going i've just not had time for two or three days you know all i've had is full on children I think Alex knows that very well. I think that that kind of brings me to a question that if I were thinking about fostering, I think would be one of my worries, which is that I do know some foster carers who are dealt with in meetings and things as fellow professionals with a fellow interest and with important things to say about the child's needs and stuff. But I've also sometimes heard stories where foster carers seem to be treated as babysitters at best and not considered fellow professionals or fellow um, stakeholders or whatever better word than that we want to put in and I think that might be one of my concerns might be that a child for whom I was doing 24 hours a day care for when it comes to decisions about that child feeling voiceless in that and I'd love to know if that's been your experience at all or just not at all. I think that's a really good question because it was one of the things that you know we we see a lot We've been really lucky and um, we've had some really good supporting social workers and we've had some really good children social workers. We've had a couple of not so good children social workers, but, you know, we know how much under pressure they are. But in the same way, I mean, you know, you should, we should be treated as professionals and we see it in our support groups. And that's where, you know, support groups are essential um, as part of your, you know, your, your resilience really to to voice these these things and and I think it, you know it, at the end of the day it comes down to communication and you know perception is is a lot if you perceive that you're not being treated with respect or the courtesy that you know you should be then things aren't going to run smoothly so you know communication is is key um, but yeah and I mean we've been, we've been really lucky I think uh, we've we've seen other team members from the actual council side not getting the best sort of uh, support from people like the IRO, so independent reviewing officer, uh, and it can be quite complex these discussions because we we we're we're only part of a cog, but we are, as you say, we are professionals. But we're not. We're not the, we're, we're the, we're not the legal team. We're, we're not, not the yeah. finance team. We're not yeah. the. We're not employees um, of yeah. the council. So 
whilst we may be recognised as professionals, we're, we're not seen as part of the team, I think. Yeah, I can see that. I think I think that must be quite difficult when that occurs, if it feels like you're not being seen as part of the team in some ways. But I can also see that some of those other roles are essential, like the legal team. You, yeah. know, you couldn't take that part on. Do you think that partly, though, the fact that you've both had um, professional careers and are probably very used to speaking in meetings and being heard, I wonder if foster carers across the board are having that experience or if it's something about who you are yourselves because when I think of other people that I know who've talked about an experience of being dealt with as a fellow professional they were also in a kind of professional career used to speaking in meetings and stuff I, th- uh, I think that's absolutely yeah, very, right very yeah. much so uh, I, I was used to dealing with high-end clients um, big brand names uh, and talking to senior people within that and going to head offices of said large e-commerce companies. Alex obviously deals with that uh, in a professional way but in your area yeah. of research. So we're actually, we're, we've got it baked in to us how to work with other professionals. And it may be that some people who get a worse deal haven't ever experienced that and therefore don't quite understand what's going on and certainly you don't always get that support from from other professionals they almost treat you like you should know well why should we know we've had basic foster uh, fostering training we we've not had social worker training (laughs) we may know elements of the children's act we may know uh, elements of the social worker sort of job and role and what they've done but we've certainly not done a four-year course on it so yes i think that that's where we can come across as as lesser citizens within that pool of people but certainly you know from from the medical side i mean the, the you know the huge benefit of me being a doctor you know we've we're actively sought out for um, children with or babies with possible med- higher medical need, um, and therefore the, that ability to deal with the professionals. They, you know, there's no doubt about it. You do get dealt with very differently, um, and, and quite often ask your ask your opinion. And I'm like, well, I'm not a paediatrician, so <laughs> I can't comment on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been certainly been very useful, and and I think you know we we are. You know, big advocates for for these these children in our care, um, and we've also been done mentoring as well to yeah. other uh, foster carers, and we we are a big support group ourselves. Uh, the foster carers in our area we have a WhatsApp group, and we all help each other. That's twenty four seven. So people post something at two o'clock in the morning. Help this has happened, what do I do? And there's always somebody who's up in the middle of the night doing dealing with something else. <laughs> so uh, have you tried this or have you uh, phoned emergency duty services? This is their number. Because just at that point where something happens and you panic yeah, and so you reach out and there's somebody else there going like, I'll help you. That's really, really nice. And so... 
I know that you had some children in your care before who were moved on. Mm. And I just wonder, can you talk about that, both the practicalities of that and the emotional journey of that? Yeah, so um, the first one that moved on was Edward, and we'd had him straight from hospital. And he, he was our second. Yeah, yeah, so he was our second child. We'd had him straight from hospital. Um, and he left us um, at nine and a half months to go to foster to SGO, which is special guardianship order. So it was, you know... Um, family connection. Family connection. Um, so that was kind of... It was very emotional for me, um, but I knew it was going to be. But much less so than our second, which we'll, we'll come on to. And I think that was mainly because we knew that you know, they were staying locally, they were with foster carers that we knew. Um, and, you know, it was, yeah, it was just, it was just slight, slightly easier. So for, so for the first one, it didn't feel like they were going on to adoption and, the, and they were only just living down the road. So that was, that was kind of different. So we didn't kind of really view it as a, as a true moving on. It was kind of a bit weird, really. But we always knew that the, the first um, child, Oliver, that we had, he um, came to us obviously at 10 weeks old and we went through the whole journey of seeing a neurologist and, you know, the potential that he might not ever walk because he'd got very, very low tone um, in his muscles. So he was kind of very fl- a very floppy baby. And there was obviously during that whole journey, there was lots of you know physio and lots of extra appointments. But when it came to talking about adoption, it, it kind of kind of came quite late because the the ag- the agency medic wouldn't sign him off until he'd seen the pediatricians again and the neurologist again and you know none of them really wanted to give that you know sign on the dotted line this this child is is going to meet their developmental milestones at some point because obviously he what he had been delayed so he'd been finally uh, approved for adoption but the courts wanted him to go to an activity day to give him the best chance. And that's where um, lots of children that are perceived as being hard to adopt, you know, they, you know, they are hard to adopt because they've got, con- you know, they, some of them have considerable medical needs or uh, physical needs or, you know, special educational needs. And potential adopters come to those activity days to kind of view those children and meet them. They may have um, seen them in a brochure and then it gets them to interact with that child, interact with the the social worker to ask further questions. But our little one had already been matched by that point, but the courts had made the decision that he should still go to to the activity day. And it it really was quite a a traumatic experience from my side. A lovely experience from from the other side, because obviously there's lots and lots of adopters, meaning probably at least... You know, um, you know, 30, 30 people, you know, couples, you know, straight couples, gay couples, a few singletons. And it was it was kind of for, from, from my side of things, you know, the, somebody would come up to us and they would just pick the child up and take them off. And it'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> yeah. very, very, very kind of, you know, alien. And, and he would be looking back at me as if to say, Who's, who are these people who are taking me off? Um, but. You know, other people at those activity days would kind of just stood watching from afar, and you know, there were those that got involved. 
But obviously meeting the the match that day was you know pretty pretty scary really because you kind of you knew that they'd been matched but you were here to potentially look for a, a different match um so yes. that's very very impartial and um you know, emotions were were high um but it had been decided after that i think eight couples came forward wanting uh, more information at the end of the day on on on, on oliver um but ultimately you know the original match um we started doing bump-ins um which are generally in the community um you bump into into each other in a, a garden center or a play center or a park or whatever and just spend you know half an hour to 40 minutes or or longer with the child social worker um the potential adopter their social worker sometimes um and us um and we had three of those over the space of a few months and the last one was just in a just me and the potential adopter and the child uh, I think I must have had another child in place. No, yeah. so it was just a, a, a me, Oliver, and the potential adopters. So it was the first time that there was no sort of the professionals around, and it felt much more natural. And because obviously I'd met the adopters to, uh, a couple of times before, it was much more warm and friendly. Uh, we hadn't didn't feel like that there was somebody sat there, you know. Yeah to take notes about what was going on and it was really nice and I came home and I told Alex about it and he you know felt really positive about it as well and then you went off and yeah I had I had one um, as well and it it gave the adopter the the chance to ask all those questions about you know how you know how how things were going you know his likes, his dislikes. So it was that those those early things. So they'd got quite a lot in place before introductions were going to start. And obviously, you know. And why was it so long between the match and placement? Because you said you know over a few months there were some bump into visits, which normally it's match and then move quickly to intros, isn't it? Oh, we'd well, love to know because it's oh okay. <laughs> it started well, in do, January. Yeah, but we do, we then... do know. We do know because it was it was the Somerset case. Yeah. So the Somerset oh, okay. case during um, yeah. COVID caused virtually all children that were going for adoption a delay because of medical paperwork not being um, in the correct mm. you know format or order or done by the right person. Um, so yeah, so it was, and, and the fact of, of the the court the court delay the the medical decision delay. It just it was just all very additive, and I th- and, you know I'm sure COVID didn't help. No, um, we we either. were still in masks at the start yeah. of it. Um, yes, it, it you know it was yes there was a lot of reasons, but there was so many other things just slow. <laughs> it's like we've had a bump in this week, but then we're not allowed to have another one for another four weeks, and we're going why so long? And it's just. Yeah. Well, because that's where it is. <laughs> yeah, and I think our local authority was fairly new to bumpins as yeah. well. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was that was done every day at all. No. It, you know, we were one of the first um, to undergo that kind of um, 
that process. But as soon as as soon as the introductions meeting was was planned and we kind of agreed, it was kind of like, oh gosh, this really is this really is happening. It's now. real now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a bit scary. Yeah. Because you know somebody's going to be you have an introductions planning meeting and all of a sudden there's a plan and it's a start date an end date and it's there's only eight days and they are so packed you've got you've got that review that review in the middle but 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 still you know it's and it's and it seemed to be every day and then i think they realized oh actually alex and terry could do with a kind of a a day off to assimilate the information have you know time to kind of say you know do whatever they want to do in terms of um you know say say goodbye in 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 many ways um although we weren't allowed to have a party in it because it was it was his birthday around that time as well um, we were always told they never move them around birthdays, but he moved two days, moved after, two days his after his birthday. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we just kept it very low yeah. key. Yeah. Um, and during adoptions, during that adoption um, introduction, it it kind of it didn't go it didn't go smoothly at all at the start um, because the agency decision maker hadn't signed the paperwork. Um, and that wasn't realised until the end of day two, which happened to be a Friday which happened night. To be a Friday, yeah. So we had a phone call at half seven at night saying stop introductions. Wow. Yeah. And um, we don't and we don't know what to tell you to do apart no. from maybe you can have maybe, a couple yeah. of bumpings on Saturday and Sunday before we reconvene on Monday. And we it's as we say it's the first time we'd done it and this happened and we had very little support. Our supervising social worker said I really don't know what to tell you because I've not experienced this before. The planning team uh, just were, I think they just didn't know what to do. Family finding team didn't know what to do. Yeah. I think they were just really shocked because yeah. I, I, I don't think, I don't think it had happened to, to them before in, for, you know, for that, for that reason, yeah. you know, it was just a, a paperwork issue, but although they'd had a month to, to sign it, to sign the paperwork off, yeah. they just hadn't, you know, I think they'd had the, you know some um, sickness, sickness in yeah. the in of an ADM, so they were looking at an agency agency decision maker, um, which who is, seemed to be working around the clock to try and get yeah. decisions made and and put the paperwork done. And we know that at the time that it did affect another another adoption that weekend. But obviously, our you know our adopter wasn't local; they were staying in a hotel just down the road, and we provided you know support, for, uh, you know by. You know WhatsApp and phone, and you know we were we were going to meet. Um, we we worked closely to the rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take you at your word, even if there had to be some flex for yeah. know, human sake. I understand. Um, and and I guess eventually, well, obviously, eventually that baby did move to those adopters. Yeah. But how how was that for you? So it, it, it obviously having that interruption, we we then had to sort of like throw out the plan and uh, um, tighten it up. So we had to do a lot of things in a very short few days, which meant that the uh, adopter was in the house constantly from six thirty in the morning till eight thirty at night for yeah. for. 
for effectively four days solid with one day where we went, drove up to their home uh, to let the child sort of see where they're going to move to. But it was very intense. And uh, as Alex said, it was his birthday during that week. So uh, the the adopter came and stopped in the house overnight with, with, with the overnight. agreement of, of with the it. local authority and so i think we kind of put it to them that you know they'd been messed, messed around a, a lot and you know had missed out on some of the the things in the plan and actually to be able to wake ones. up yeah, yeah and to be able to wake up on his birthday um and get him up was a really nice thing and we we got on with, um we got on with the adopter amazingly um and you know that that was made so much easier by the the adopter sending through um, a book, one of these hardback books with pictures of of where he was going to live, what his room yeah. looked like, that he got a cat and what its name was, and they also sent a little toy um, jelly cat um, yeah. cat. Um, and basically called it a similar name. So we would sort of tell stories at night and then she sent a, a video of his favourite songs and we would play that to him before bed. And there was a whole load of photos which we put around the house in, in photo frames and that sort of stuff. Um, just to kind of, you know, make it make it easier and make, make you know, this it's it's going to happen. And, and also I think, you know, when when they came to the house the first time and looked around and they could see that there was these pictures and whatever, it made it made them feel at ease that we were actually yes. really, we'd really bought into this this process. Um, but yeah, it certainly wasn't it wasn't um, emotionally easy um, at the end because obviously, yeah, that final day um, packing the last few bits into the into into their car to to sort of wave goodbye and. We were obviously then going up, you know, to stay in a hotel for three days just in case there was a meltdown and things weren't working. And but we went for lunch. We went for lunch. Uh, when we got when yeah. he got there, we went for lunch yeah. at their house, uh, which was lovely. But we yeah. were there for an hour, and it was okay. We, you know, we found yeah. it tough. But uh, then the we obviously overnight we were told that we could then go on the Saturday for our very final sort of lunch with him and he was being a star he, yeah he just sort of like assimilated into that house like like he's always lived there and it, it was so nice to see the, the, the attachment yeah. already you could see was 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 building yeah. i mean you could see it building before before he left here um but it you know there was no kind of like oh where have they gone yeah um and i remember you know that that kind of last uh, sort of contact at that point, you know, that we we had a message afterwards saying um, that as we'd gone out the door, he he just said, "Gone, gone." Well, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you know, but uh, we've kept in touch. Yeah, uh, we get lots of updates, lots and of photos. We are so pleased yeah. uh, of progress, what yeah. he's doing, where he's been. Yeah. how well he's doing and and how well he's bonded with the family uh he's got a lovely extended family yeah. um you know it, it's just amazing because he's got a great family yeah. and we we tend to meet up every two or three months yeah 
um, on neutral ground. You go to a go for a meal in a, a play center. Play center. Or... That's lovely. Yeah. 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 Oh well, I mean, as it as it should be, you know, that um, a child that needed a permanent home was loved by you for the first year of his life, and then moved to that permanent home, and you know that's how it should be. As hard as it is along the way for for everybody. Yeah. And we still keep in touch with uh, other child that moved on to foster to SGO and that that family comes across to our house uh, yeah. quite regularly uh, and that's really nice yeah. as well. He's not phased by that at all. No, you know, he, he comes in and he go uh, and he, he looks around yeah. for the TV yeah. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and and it's really lovely I, I, you, you do want to keep in touch with them yeah and I think you know I mean we've we've heard people saying oh you know our social our social worker as in the adopt, adopters social worker said oh no no don't you know you need to completely cut ties and you know never never see the foster care again and I think at the end of the day it's it, it's up to the adopter it's not it's not up to the social worker um, unless there's something really specific that you know yeah. is going on but um yeah it's it's fine yeah it's really nice i personally i think there's such benefit to maintaining that contact and we do with my son's foster carers so 10 years down the line we go away with them once a year um book a load of big static caravans and and we're all in those and um even this time you know my son's 11 now and um he and his foster carer were sitting together at one point and she was telling him just little stories that are not kind of they're not big memories. It's not we once took you to Scarborough or something, you know, that's kind of a, a big headline item. It was just things like, you know, after you went to bed each night, the dog would come up and just look at you through your cot and just little tiny memories. And he was sitting just soaking it up and soaking it up. Yeah. And at the end of it, he just threw his arms around her and just hugged her and she just held him for a little bit. And it was so moving because she's the custodian of those tiny memories, you know, and it, it feels so important that he can access those you know so so yeah it was for us it's been nothing but benefit and I know that depends on the dynamics and the individuals and things like that but it's just brought such benefit that the people who loved him first remain in his life you know so yeah Yeah. it's been a really good thing yeah that's how we we want to remain you know part of an extended family yeah, absolutely. And so there's desperate need for foster carers. I mean, the number of kids who really need fostering placements at the moment is huge. And, you know, each year they publish the numbers of foster carers that they're trying to recruit. And, you know, it's always well above 10,000. I don't know what the current figure is, but thousands are needed. I just wonder what advice or encouragement you might give to people who listen to this around considering fostering. Don't think you can't because you can. You've just got to make that step. You know, it's you know, we picked that phone up that day and spoke to um, the training team, and literally they, someone called us back. You know, within a couple of hours, and we were we were on the process. Um, it it wasn't it wasn't tough necessarily for us. Um, Because I would say we've had fairly easy lives, but a lot of people say, you know, oh, how, you know, how intrusive is it going to be? You know, it, 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 you do, you do lay everything on the line. You know, you you lay your childhood on the line, your, you know, your family dynamics, your 
relationships, your work, your your finances to some degree. But you know, it's it's all part and parcel of of the um, of the of the training and the and the assessment. You know, you. But yeah, just just do it. Yeah, don't don't feel that you don't tick boxes uh, because they haven't got a tick box sheet. You haven't got to be this. You haven't got to be that. Um, you just have to have a. You just got to have a spare room. You've got to have a spare room. That's it. That's about the only tick box. Yeah. Um, if you're not working and you're on universal credit, there's ways of uh, you doing it. Um, if you only want to do respite weekends uh, or school holidays, you can do that. There's so much you can do. And it is a bit of a gateway into it. You, respite is definitely a, a way of getting into it, just doing short-term breaks, uh, maybe regular once a month or just during hol- uh, school holidays. And I would say that um, don't feel that they're going to judge you because of your sexuality or gender or no- non-gender. It's that just isn't in their sort of like profile. It's it, they're not profiling you. No, they haven't got a quota to fill uh, of uh, diversity, but they do want diversity because the children that they look after are diverse. That's brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, and thank you to the babies for being our youngest guests as well. Thanks, both of you. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guests today, Alex and Terry. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.